2 Peter chapter 2, a picture of false teachers. That's what we're looking at today, a picture of false teachers. And it's verses 2 through to 22, sorry, 10 through to 22. I'm going to read now from verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. This is these false, false teachers. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised, sorry, exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way, and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass, speaking with a man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. And if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Very solemn words in that passage. I'm not going to bring to you an an explanation verse by verse. We will simply be dipping into it this morning and God willing I'll be bringing out a few um, points, important points for you to consider. So far in 2 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter has warned that there shall be false teachers who will use deceptive means to bring heresies into the churches. In verse 1, Peter said that the false teachers 
will deny the Lord that that bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. It's worthwhile going over the meaning of that again in order to have an understanding of who the false teachers are, what they are about, before we continue to consider them this morning. It has already been pointing, pointed out that the Lord, in verse 1, comes from the Greek word despotes, despotes, from which we get the word despot. So the Lord comes from the word despot, which means absolute ruler. We generally have negative thoughts about that word despot, don't we? When Jesus is referred to as Lord, the word Lord comes from the word, the Greek word kurios, but we have despotes in verse 1. Invariably, earthly despots are cruel, greedy tyrants, and that's because, like the rest of us, they are sinful people. For that reason, no single person ought to have absolute power in this fallen world. However, here in verse 1, despotes is a reference to Almighty God, who is without sin, he is perfect in all his ways, and he really does have absolute rule over everything. Everything. As King David said, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honour come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. When Peter described the false teachers as people who would deny despotes, deny the Lord, who bought them, they would appear to, that would appear to be a reference to God who, who bought them or redeemed them from bondage in Egypt. The Israelites of old. Initially, the false teachers who would infiltrate the churches would be the descendants of those Israelites of old who forsook the Lord who bought them, who redeemed them. In other words, in the first instance, they would be Jews, people who had been taught the Old Testament prophecies, prophecies that speak about Jesus. And they would still teach heresies concerning Jesus and his gospel of grace. What I want to emphasise yet again is that the false teachers, whether we're talking about the Jews who infiltrated the early church, and that's what Peter was initially um, warning about in the passage, or else the smooth-talking con men of today that entertain and beguile their audiences as they bring condemnation upon themselves. They never belong to Jesus in the first place. It's not as if they fell out of salvation or anything like that. By speaking their heresies, 
They do the lusts of their father, the devil, who is a liar and who is the father of it. Let's be very clear about that. Coming now to today's passage, in verse 10, it is written, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Peter is referring to false teachers who walk after the flesh, or as Jude says in his in the parallel passage, Jude chapter 1 and verse 8, they are people who defile the flesh. Born again Christians are to live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. And rather than walk in the flesh or after the flesh, Christians walk after the spirit and they bring forth the fruit of the spirit, which is evidence of their salvation from sin and it is evidence of them being raised up to newness of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not Christians because they walk after the Spirit or in the Spirit and bring forth the fruit of the Spirit, but that is evidence that they are truly saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the false teachers who walk after the flesh and defile the flesh most certainly do not do that. Why? Because they're not Christians. As Peter said of the false teachers in 1 Peter, sorry, 2 Peter, chapter 2 and verse 14, their eyes are full of adultery. According to Psalm 1, the righteous man delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Clearly that is not the case with those false teachers who walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and whose eyes are full of adultery. In verse 14, Paul t- uh, Peter warns that their eyes are full of adulteries. They beguile unstable souls. In other words, they lure vulnerable women who have come to trust them, to respect them, and they commit sexual sin. Although it's not mentioned in this passage, we know that it's not just unstable women who are targeted by those sexual predators, is it? For example, more than a few Roman Catholic priests have been found guilty of committing despicable acts of sexual deviance against young males it has been estimated that the Roman Catholic Church has paid out $4 billion in lawsuits over allegations of sexual abuse by priests leading back to the 1980s. That's a lot of money being paid out. Also, there have been some very high-profile figures in Protestant churches who have been exposed as having fleshed out their adulterous thoughts. When you come to church and listen to a preacher or a teacher, you might expect to be induced to repent of your sins, 
including your own adulteries or whatever sins you have hidden away in your heart. And you might expect to receive from God showers of gospel blessings and living water that wells up to eternal life as you are drawn to Jesus with loving kindness and as you trust in him for your acceptance before God. You might expect these things from a preacher. However, that's not likely to happen if the teacher is an adulterous heretic. As Peter says in verse 17, they are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, with a storm. Therefore, though you, though you can expect to be entertained by the false teachers, do not expect to receive anything of spiritual substance from them. Verse 10 gives us some idea about what the heresies of the false teachers are. Let's have a look again at verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. The false teachers that Peter warns about despise government and they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities or dignitaries. Looking first of all at government, that is a translation of kuriotes, kuriotes, which comes from the word kurios, which means Lord, as in Lord Jesus Christ, kurios, Jesus Christ. In other words, government can be read as lordship. Before you get this idea that they hate all the MHKs, I know I'm no great fan of our MHKs, but I don't believe that's what it's about. Since this chapter, indeed this epistle, is a warning about false teachers infiltrating the churches with their heresies and bringing damnation upon themselves, what Peter seems to be saying in verse 10 is that the false teachers despise the lordship of Jesus. Now, you should be able to relate to all that I'm telling you here because I'm probably most of us have been in these churches and I certainly hope that this isn't one of those churches. They'll talk about Jesus. They really will. But do they actually honour the lordship of Jesus? Do they reverence him? Is there that sense of being on holy ground when they talk about Jesus? Or is he just some pal of theirs who facilitates them to live live out their dreams in this world and fulfil their ambitions? Think about it for yourself. Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the eternal Son of God. And when he comes again, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord. And when you get to the second part of verse 10, the Greek word that has been translated dignities or dignitaries or whatever you've got in your translation is actually doxa. It comes from the Greek word doxa, which is much more often than not translated glory with reference to the glory of God. Putting it all together, far from the false teachers despising earthly governments and speaking evil of dignities which are presumed by many to refer to angels, speaking evil of angels, what Peter seems to be saying is that by their conduct they do not honour Jesus as Lord and as, the, as being the eternal Son of God with all his divine glory. Again, we need to remember that they are cunning like the serpent that beguiled Eve in the Garden of Eden and so they do it privily, according to verse 1. In other words, they do it secretly, they do it craftily. Coming now to verse 19, we are given an idea of what it is that the false teachers preach. Let's have a look at verse 19. While they promised them liberty... They themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. Any teaching about liberty in a church ought to centre on what? Liberty, freedom, it ought to centre on being bound to Jesus. That is liberty, I've said that time and again. The definition of being free is being yoked to Jesus. That is true freedom. Being bound to Jesus who has rescued and redeemed hell-deserving sinners from destruction by his death on the cross and by his resurrection from the dead. In the same way, any sermon on love, this is I'm talking about an experience that my family and I had when we were on holiday once some years ago any sermon on love ought to take the hearers to the cross you would have thought so anyway after all the greatest act of love ever must surely be the incarnate son of God being lifted up to die on a wooden cross for sinners that's love Jesus lifted up to die on a cross for worthless people like you and me. That said, I once sat through a sermon on love where the cross of Christ did not even get a mention. That takes some doing, doesn't it? You could almost admire the skill of the preacher for somehow or other not mentioning the cross of Christ. That takes some doing. The whole thrust of his sermon was that we are to be nice to one another. That's love. Being nice to each other. It was one of those sermons that anyone could agree with and no one would be offended by. There could have been Hindus, Muslims, atheists, whoever in that audience, no one would have been offended by that sermon. 
In the same way, somehow or other, the false teachers managed to preach about liberty, freedom, with little or no mention that it is found through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how they do it, but they manage it. Freedom from sin and Satan through faith in Jesus, taking upon himself the curse of God's law, is not likely to be preached by false teachers who have eyes full of adulteries and who despise Jesus. In fact, they actively avoid calling out sin and inducing repentance and faith in Christ. For them and their willing hearers, liberty means using the grace of God as a license to abandon God's law and do what you want. If it feels good, do it. Whereas the Apostle Paul says that the law of God is good and the psalmist says that the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord is blessed. In other words, having been saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the man who is blessed with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ delights in walking in obedience to God with God's enabling grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That must surely be your will, your desire to do God's will. I'm not saying you do it, I'm not saying I do it, but at least that ought to be your desire with the Holy Spirit working in you. Chapter 2 finishes with a very solemn warning for the false teachers and all who have heard the truth and have tasted Jesus that he is good, yet still they spit him out and they return to their carnal ways. Let's have a look again at verses 20 through to 23. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Those people, they, re- they know Jesus, they clearly know Jesus, or at least they go to church, and are able to quote various Bible verses concerning Jesus and his gospel. However, it is nothing more than a head knowledge. Judas Iscariot, he was such a person. One might say that he knew Jesus. After all, he'd been with him for three years. Even so, he forsook the Lord for 30 pieces of silver and he is described by Jesus as the son of perdition. In other words, Judas Iscariot, who was with Jesus and who knew Jesus, is now in hell. I don't know why we get these conversations. Where do you think Judas Iscariot is now? John chapter 17. Jesus refers to Judas as the son of perdition. I think that settles it. 
There are many Judas Iscariots in the churches and I'm not just talking about the false teachers. They are people who when trials come by the hand of God, they show themselves for what they are. People who are not grounded in the truth and consequently as a dog cannot resist returning to its vomit, their hearts are exposed as being in fertile soil and never truly received that never truly received the word of God unto salvation and they return to their old ways. I've seen it time and again. As Jesus said about false professors of Christ, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside, but he that receives the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet have he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receiveth seed, Among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfaithful, unfruitful. In closing, what we have in chapter 2 are false teachers who are not born again. They follow after the flesh and not after the spirit. Ultimately, their sin which has its seat In their hearts, their uncircumcised hearts, is covetousness or sinful desires and they are governed by those sinful desires. If you really are a Christian, although you may well have certain covetous or sinful desires, even adulterous desires, those desires do not govern your life and you are not enslaved by them because you've been set free by Jesus. Rather, you are free, you are yoked to the Lord Jesus Christ, you hear his voice and you follow him. Far from despising Jesus and dishonouring him, by the grace of God, you really do love him and you earnestly draw on God's grace in order to keep your focus on him and your desire is to be more and more like Jesus. Though you most certainly do not always think, say and do the things that you ought to, you nevertheless desire to do what is pleasing to your great God and Saviour who loved you and who gave himself for you as you thank God that your acceptance before God is in his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.